Um, week five of Unstuck, we've spent the last four weeks talking about um, getting stuck, or getting unstuck, I should say, from our past, um, from discontentment, from unbrokenness. Last week, we talked about o- old habits, and today, we're going to talk about um, being unstuck from earthly fixations. And the kind of the theme of what we're going to be talking about today is one line is, I kind of flipped these slides, guys, sorry about that. Eternity starts today, so it's time to lighten the load. So, first question would be, why worry about getting unstuck? Like, I know being stuck in stuff, that list that they gave, is awful. Nobody enjoys it. But as Christians, we know that one day we're going to shed this mortal coil, we're going to go to heaven and, and live forever with Jesus. And so we just have to put up with life here on earth and the people that we deal with and the situations that we're in for just a little bit longer, and then we'll go to heaven. So why get unstuck? And I think, you know, and Jim Bob's alluded to this, there's more um, than this stuck life that's weighing us down. It feels like we're not going anywhere. And we can't just wait for that day when we will be with him in, in bodily form. It reminds me, it's, this is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. Sorry, I'm going to go ahead and say the most popular verse in the Bible. And you might say, Nathan, you know, how can you say such a thing? Well, there's a website, BibleGateway.com. If you haven't ever checked it out, you should. It's where I copy and paste all the Bible verses for um, my sermon slides, and they have lots of different translations. Um, they keep a lot of data on the Bible verses that are read um, by the users of that website. And for nine of the last 10 years, there has been one verse at the top, one verse that beat out 31,102 other verses in the Bible. Do you guys want to take a guess? John 3:16. There was I know you're thinking, well, what was that one year? You're going to have to wait till the end of the service to find out. So I got you guys for the whole time. John 3.16. You could probably recite it from heart. You know, a lot of us definitely who grew up in like Christian families or Christian church could. I say Christian church. I meant to say Christian school. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, I don't normally pull up the King James Version on a Sunday morning. We normally go with the different translations, but this is the one that I learned it in whenever I was young. We can look at some other translations to kind of see what's going on here. The New King James Version says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They capitalized his, they got rid of some commas, and said whoever instead of whomsoever. Um, the... NIV says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The ESV, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The New Living Translation, for this is how God loved the world. They changed it up a little bit. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You guys see the theme? The Weymouth New Testament, so this was a guy who wrote a New Testament, tried to do it in common English at the end of the 1800s. It was published in the beginning of the 1900s. He said, For so greatly did God love the world that he gave his only son that everyone who trusts in him may not perish 
but may have the life of ages. It's a little bit different. Um, Young, who wrote the Young's Concordance, it's a popular concordance along with the Strong's, he came out with his literal translation of the Bible. It is a difficult read, but he tried to go from Greek word to English word as close as he possibly could. He said, For God so loved the world that his Son, the only begotten he gave, that everyone who is believing in him may not perish, but have life age-during. That's a weird word, age-during. And this might be the first time I've ever said this in a sermon. I think the message um, uh, paraphrase gives us the best insight into this passage. The message says, this is how much God loves the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. The Greek word that's been translated as eternal or eternity in so many different translations of the Bible is the Greek word aeonias, and it's derived from the Greek word aeon, and it's the word that we use, aeon, and it means a passage of time. So what we read as eternity really means an age or lasting ages. So we've read eternal life, I feel like, so many times that we kind of get this idea of the gospel that um, the good news is that we're destined for hell when we die. And, And if we say a prayer or we walk down an aisle during an altar call, then we change our final destination. We don't have to go to hell anymore, but we get to one day walk the streets of gold. Or even worse, we get to sit on a a cloud for all eternity playing a harp. But that's not what this verse is saying. Yes, the life that we're getting is eternal. It's a life that goes on forever. But it's also a life that starts right now. God is inviting us to a life right now that is a powerful life. And it's so full of the resurrecting power of Christ that it's going to burst through this age into the age to come. It's going to carry us from the now into eternity. And it starts today. It's not something that we have to wait on. It bursts through this age and our space and earth into the age to come and God's space and heaven. And that life gets to combine the two. We're working through the Bible right now as a church, and you're invited to join us. City Point Church's Bible reading for the year is tinyurl.com forward slash cpcbible22. You can join. And I think the best part of these is that in the readings, they have the Bible Project videos kind of mingled in with the readings periodically. And I want to show you guys one of those today. This is the one on heaven and earth. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, But here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about 
going to heaven after we die. But this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right, so we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, 
This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. I was going to say, wow, you guys are watching a lot of videos today, but that only applies to the room because online it's only videos. <laughs> so we get this idea that becoming unstuck is our job bringing heaven and earth together now, living that powerful life, that age-enduring life that's going to bust us from now into eternity. And so that brings us to the idea of today. Like we've talked about being uh, un unstuck from uh, ingratitude and past uh, uh, habits and things like that. But what about earthly fixations? Um, so we're going to be reading. This is the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. So this is following the Hall of Faith, a list of all the greats. Um, and, uh, and so that kind of is referred to in the beginning of the, the verse. I didn't want to leave you guys out. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those are the ones from chapter 11, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Eternity starts today, so it's time to lighten the load. So the writers of the New Testament use a lot of different analogies for our Christian walk or this work of bringing heaven and earth back to, together that Jesus gave us. Um, but here, specifically, they're using an analogy of a race. And this isn't a sprint. This is like a marathon. You guys know how life is. It's a marathon. And so they're saying, like, we need to get rid of some stuff. Obviously, we should get rid of sin from our life because the goal is not like I'm trying to be Jim Bob the goal is to look more like Christ that's what the next verse tells us and so we should strip off the things that that are holding us back and obviously again it's get rid of sin in your life it's going to trip you up right you're not going to gain any speed because you're just going to keep falling down so get rid of the sin but it also talks about these other things these things that hinder your race that weigh you down or hold you back. You know, I would think if you were going to run a race and you had a backpack on, you'd take that guy off. Or if you were going to run a race and your pockets were full of, full of rocks, you'd get them suckers out of your pocket. 
Or if you were carrying a little bit extra weight, you might, you might want a little bit of time to get rid of some of that extra weight. Um, as you can tell, I know very little about running. So I had to look this up, and I want to read it to make sure I got it right. Uh, weight matters. The rule of thumb is that for every extra pound of weight, you gain two seconds on your mile time. These are for elite runners. I don't even know what a pound would do on my mile time. Um, but in, in 1978, uh, the University of Georgia did experiments, and they, they verified this. When you weigh a runner down, they had straps and pulleys and things. When you weigh a runner down, every pound results in one and a half to four seconds added to their mile time. And if you're talking about five extra pounds, that's over two-minute difference in a marathon. That's from being on the podium to not even being recognized. But it works the same way in reverse. Every pound you lose, you gain, or I guess you lose two seconds on your mile time. You're faster. Eternity starts today, so it's time to lighten the load. So I've intentionally avoided giving you guys a list because it's easy to make a list of sins. The Bible is full of them. But when it comes to earthly fixations, these hindrances that weigh us down, they're different for each and every one of us. And as soon as I give you a list, you start following that list, you miss the point completely. You're kind of like the sailors. In the story of Jonah, Jonah's running from God, and there's a great storm, and the sailors are like, what are we going to do? Just start throwing stuff overboard. You don't need a list. You need to figure out what the Jonah is in your life. Just throw that guy overboard. But let me give you one example. It's hard for me to sit quietly. Like, waiting is just the worst. I feel like there has to be some type of entertainment going at all times. I remember early on in our marriage, me and Molly um, started paying bills. And I remember telling her, like, if we're home, the TV should be on. We're paying the, for the TV. It should be running. <laughs> and it's gotten even worse with a smartphone. Like, I am constantly watching YouTube or reading an article or scrolling through social media. And those things are not in themselves bad. It's not sinful to scroll social media. But it's unhealthy, it has an unhealthy place in my life. It, it hinders my race. It keeps me from reading my Bible, from spending time thinking and listening to God and his plans and, and his guide and guiding and his direction in my life. It keeps me from spending time with family and friends. That is a hindrance to me. You see what I'm saying? Eternity starts today, so it's time to lighten the load. You want to see something sad? This is King Tut's tomb. It looks like a storage unit, <laughs> like storage wars. Why throw everything into a room like that? Well, King Tut and the Egyptians thought that anything that they were buried with, they carried with them into the afterlife. And this wasn't just an Egyptian thing. It was shared by a lot of cultures. So in a tomb, you'd find buried food and clothes and jewelry and boats and chariots and even occasionally wives. Buried. In fact, King Tut's tomb isn't very lavish because he died young. He was a little boy. And his dad wasn't very rich before him. So he didn't have a lot to take with him into the afterlife. Spoiler alert, all that stuff didn't end up making it. That's why we have pictures of it. 
That's why grave robbing is a thing. Eternity starts today. It's time to start lightening our load. What are you collecting for your tomb? What's keeping you from living your best life? What's hindering you from running your race well? What's holding you back? What's weighing you down against your goal? Being just like Christ. What's getting between you and a better relationship with our Creator? What is preventing you from that life that will endure from this age to the next? That life that's so full of power, not even the grave can hold it back. What is it for you? Eternity starts today. It's time to lighten the load. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are telling a story with our life. And that we're not finished. Like you say in Philippians, you started a work in us and you're working it to a completion. But we just pray that you shine that light on our life and you show us those things that are holding us back because we want to run the race. We want to be like Jesus and bring heaven to earth. We want to give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all stand up and let's sing this together.